Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree. Do you want to do all of the questions? The third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by soccer90.com. Soccer90.com, your location for all the best soccer gear, FC Dallas national teams north texas soccer club hope you guys enjoyed that absolute banger of a black friday sale man they just got all the discounts over there third degree listeners of course get 20 percent off at soccer90.com with code third degree at checkout soccer90.com they got the best stuff some exclusions may apply well hello there fc dallas curious fan welcome to another episode of third degree the podcast this one is numbered 239, 239, and it's a special edition of Third Degree, the podcast. This is our annual Q&A episode as we look for creative ways to burn episodes with different type of content in the offseason by asking you, the FC Dallas Curious, to submit questions for Dan and Buzz to answer. And yes, hello, it is me, Peter. And today he's back. Wait, was he here last week? I don't remember anymore. It is your favorite Englishman and currently safely out of the relegation zone, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hello, I wasn't here last week. You needed to do it at an ungodly hour. Oh, that's right. We did need to do it at an ungodly hour. And uh, speaking of ungodly... Your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and the OG Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Yeah, Peter, it's a weird time for us because uh, FC Dallas was eliminated early enough that there was a delay before the roster deadline. So there's this vacuum between Thanksgiving holiday and now this, you know, this week of waiting around for the deadline for moves left us with a whole lot of nothing to talk about. So well, hence the Q&A, and here we are. That's why we can always depend on the curious to help yeah. us provide us content yeah. uh, for, for the podcast. So today we're going to go through a whole list of questions submitted by Patreon subscribers of Third Degree, which, by the way, you should totally be subscribing to. Um, it, is a ra- it, it is a fee in which you get to decide how much you want to give Buzz of your money, and in exchange you get exclusive access to what, Buzz? Well, you can get little third degree burns, which are tiny little podcasts. Uh, I mean, mainly the idea is that you support us for uh, all we do. And then also, if you uh, contribute at a high enough level, you get access to the Discord. So I was doing promotional background yep. music for I you. I enjoyed it. I, I was with you. Is there no more promotion? No, I mean, is those are it? the main things. You know, it depends. Oh. There's, there's some other smattering of things on there. Like if you get at a high enough level, you can actually have my cell phone number. But that's a pretty tough level to get to. We probably could have produced that a little better, right, Dan? Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a free podcast at the end of the day, right? <laughs> you get what you pay for. Full of media professionals <laughs> that are dialed in. It's late on a Wednesday. Started, that we haven't started Kit Talk yet. So, uh, yeah. Extra time called, and they asked me if I'd be willing to loan back because they're it's in disarray. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I asked okay. if I could. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Uh, yes. We should totally do Kit Talk right now because of what happened today in the Champions League. Did you guys see the historic moment in Kit nerddom that happened today? 
Well, I did, but like if you do non FCD kit talk, you're really going to get Steve Davis to bail yeah, out. Um, you're probably right. Okay. You know, we won't mention. We won't mention it. I'll drop it. Never mind. All right, let's get cool, to the it questions. It was a cool kit combo, but you know. All right, we'll get to the kit question. We'll get to the kit stuff later. Let's get to the questions, and I'm going to start with this particular question from Chris Mobley because it really ties into really what is the headline of the week since we last talked which is this video that has surfaced. Now, remember, Alan Velasco went back to Argentina. We discussed it at great length last week or two weeks ago uh, to have his knee surgery in Argentina against the wishes, we believe, of the FC Dallas front office. Is that fair to say, Buzz? Suggestions of the front office, probably, yeah. Okay. Um, So he's back in Argentina, and he makes an appearance on like their version of Sports Center. I don't know. Something. I don't even know what it was. I think it was a club-related show. I didn't pay that close attention to what vehicle it was. All right, which one of you, Dan and or Buzz, wants to play the part of Alan Velasco and kind of <laughs> tell the story that little knucklehead told on uh, Argentinian television? Dan can tell it. I'm tired of it. Go ahead, Dan. I don't know if I could do his accent or, or speak Spanish for that matter. Uh, so, Mr. Velasco, in August... Uh, found out that his previous team were suffering some hard times. And, and that team's name is? Is it Independiente? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, C-A-I. Kai. Uh, so he asked FC Dallas if he could go on loan to be the triumphant hero and save them from their whatever shit they were going through. And of course, FC Dallas was like, no, we're chasing the playoffs, you fucking moron. Oh. Well, yes. Can we remind everybody where this team was in August of this year? Well, this August of this year is when they were coming out of the League's Cup and then in the middle of all those injury problems, and they were certainly fighting for a playoff spot. And that's the problem is, you know, they were in and out and in and out and bouncing around. And that's not the time when you let somebody of that kind of money and caliber leave to go help their old team. It's just not going to happen. It is, I mean, look, this is a history, this is a club with a history that that makes this feel all too familiar with the number of players, foreign players, that have suddenly had something come up back in the motherland of their particular location, which has caused them problems with the club. Whether it be homesickness, visa issues for girlfriends, whatever, this all just reeks of like, okay, he's gone. We're never seeing this kid again. Well, we raised that question before he even said anything about – being wanting to go home and be yes, back we to the original team. Yes, we did. You know, uh, the the actual question Chris asked was, is there any sign that the coaches in front office are frustrated by all this? Oh, I hadn't even gotten to Chris's question yet. I just wanted I just wanted to discuss the video first before we got into that part of it, but well, yeah, listen, uh, frustration is not the right word, but look, we've had this problem and they've had this problem and I'm sure that they're worried about it since the kid got here. You remember they created a, a department to specialize in making people feel good about being here, like a, an off-field happiness department, for lack of a better word. And then we are we saw right away he had homesickness problems, and there was a big trip they arranged with his whole family coming up. I know they've tried to talk to his family about moving here. They got him a puppy. You know, none of these things <laughs> appear to be working. It's like the kid, the kid is really emotional. He's not wired like hyper competitive, surly bastard. You know, we've seen him come to tears being subbed out of a game. 
So, you know, he's an emotional dude. He needs kid glove treatment. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that they're worried about it. I, uh, there's a legitimate chance he never closed plays for this club again. Uh, I'm at this point, I'm like 50, 50. He never plays for this club again. Wait, are you, when you say you're, are you saying 50, 50, just guessing on how the outcome of this or that you you're 50, 50 on whether what you want him to play for this club? Oh again? no, the outcome, 50, 50 on the outcome. Oh, okay. uh, there's at least a 50% chance in my mind that he won't ever be back. That he'll, you know, that he'll do all of his rehab down there and that he won't come back at all for any of the rehab. And at the end of the rehab, when they're ready to activate him, he'll be like, nah, and he'll go, he'll, he'll just not come back. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And somebody at some point will figure out he never told anybody to make sure they watch the puppy back here in the Dallas. Yeah. It's just like stuck in his house. That's the first thing I thought about when I saw he went home. I was like, who's taking care of the puppy? You can't just take a dog with you. <laughs> I know. So I Argentina. thought the same thing. <laughs> So yeah. Tariq Scott got himself a free dog out yeah, of the deal or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are so to Chris's question to kick off the question and answer session, are there any signs that the coaches in front office are frustrated with Allen's wanderlust? Not frustrated, you know, worried. It's definitely a concern, you know, whether they'll, do anything about it or not is is the question. You know, you're gonna just wait till they actually tell him that he's not gonna be active for an entire year and see how he reacts. So, you know, it's not good. It's bad. You know, I, I don't know if worry is the right word. It's probably so probably somebody's involved with money is probably worried. Like Dan Hunt's probably worried. But, oh man, how much money would you have paid to have been a fly on the wall in his house or office or where, you know, bathroom while he was sitting on the pot reading the interwebs and saw this video for the first time. Boy. Yeah. I don't know how he would have reacted to that. I'm sure he immediately got on the phone, you know, whoever to whoever and said, Hey, get the kid on the phone. I'm, I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been some kind of statement or reaction that, that they didn't ask him to like go in front of somebody and say, Hey, no, look, I'm happy or something, you know, which maybe is even more of a sign to be worried, you know? Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of red flags here tied yeah. to his injury, the t fact that he went home to have... I mean, I really wasn't all that bothered that he went back to Argentina to have the surgery, other than the fact that when you start to throw in all the other things that have happened before this that makes you that leads you to believe the kid just wants to go back to Argentina. Yeah. It's not that he hates it here. He just doesn't like it enough not to want to go back if he could find the right opportunity. And I thought the other part of the video that we didn't mention at least in how I thought I, and you know, whether Google Translate worked well enough or whoever translated it did it correctly, was the very last line, which was, you know, uh, I told my agent to tell them money's not an issue. Oh, did, I, did I read that part correctly? Uh, I don't did Dan, know. did you pick up on that? I, I got to be honest, I didn't really uh, spend too much time on it. Okay. Well, there was something I thought at the very end of the video where he makes some sort of reference that I, my perception, I'm not saying I'm correct in this, was that he essentially said, hey, if it's a money issue, I'll be happy to figure that out with them. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, it's like, you know, if, if one month after being sold to Valencia, Tanner Testament was like, man, SC Dallas really needs me because all these injuries, I got to go back and said, I'll do it for free. You know? Right. It's not, it's not quite the same, but it's like minimum wage. All yeah, right, they'll do it for minimum wage. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and he's even more, he's even more like a Jesus where he played for the club since he was like nine. You know, it's even like Tanner at least was a later rival. It's more like Jesus Ferreira, but we know Jesus isn't wired like that. Jesus is not emotional and, and you know, this kid is so. 
Well, it's just put a whole sour taste. Uh, I really was coming around on the kid. I still don't think he's uh, delivered on the promise or the hype or the cost, frankly. And this certainly, unless we find out that this is just a young guy nervous in an interview and there's some sort of translation error, he's telling the story incorrectly or whatever, maybe even then it's still super bad. I just, the whole thing's really disappointing. Yeah, there's way too much Arangis here at this point. There's a little bit of Maro Diaz and a little bit of there's a little bit of Fabian Castillo in there and yeah. Well, I hope not. We'll see. Goodness gracious. All right, the other we'll come back to some more questions from Chris here in a little bit. Next up on the questions really relates to the other big headline or at least rumor that floated around this week, which is something we all think we know is coming, which is the addition of a fourth designated player per team. This is obviously all tied to Inter Miami and Messi and them wanting to sign the rest of an old Barcelona starting 11 or whatever it is. Um, and so uh, Big B asked this question and somebody else uh, asked this from the Patreon. I can't remember uh, somewhere in here. But essentially the question goes like this from Big B. If MLS does allow a fourth DP, how would that change your patented offseason plan for improving the team buzz? Well, if it were mine, I would go out and get another DP, but that's not how the hunts operate. Um, you know, I'm not even sure they're going to do 100% of the plan that I put out there. What it means effectively is that uh, I assume at this point that more than likely that they'll do something like they did this last year where Paul Ariello was their DP. Um, you know, they'll just basically use this club operates where they have any given season six or seven guys that are above the DP line but only three of them will be actually DPs. They use the funny money of the league and, and roster mechanics to buy down the rest of those salaries in terms of the salary cap. So basically this will just mean there'll be one less guy that is above the line they'll have to buy down. You know, So on the upside, you can hope they really are going to do these moves that we've suggested of upgrading center back and six and things like that. You know, We'll talk about all those moves specifically probably in some of the other questions, but I, the, the hunts in this franchise do not strike me as a team that are going to go out and spend another $2 million and bring back a Jesus Ferreira or an Alan Velasco level player. They're, they're just going to use one, that money on somebody they already have. It's got a relatively high salary. Um, you know, worst case scenario, the nightmare is that they'll use it on a Jesus Jimenez, which would be awful, but you know, it'd be slightly okay if you use it on Paxson or something like that, you know, but that's not what we want to have happen. We want to have them go, do this. And this comes back to this idea we've kicked around a lot is do you have ambition or not? You know, are you just going to be content? Are you going to do something? So we'll, we'll find out. This is a big winner to find out about that. And just to make sure I give credit where it's due, Chris Kyrus, I think I'm pronouncing that. I apologize if I'm butchering your last name, Chris, also essentially asked the same question and I want to make sure that they got credit for that. Yep. Uh, Dan, you got any hot sports opinions on a fourth DP and what that means for Dallas? Uh, I, I, I do not. I mean, for me, you want to have a strong spine in your team, uh, a DP, uh, you've got, uh, well, a DP quality midfielder in the Mendy as long as, uh, he's back, you've got Jesus DP some level, uh, you really do want a, a center back, uh, ideally to, uh, you know, be that, uh, that shining star in a winning team. Uh, but I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see firstly, if it does happen and then what the implications on the, over, you know, the salary cap and everything else are as well. 
I think it all it, it definitely ties back to the big message from the last couple of weeks uh, from us, which is you're really going to get a sense of where the hunt's hearts at in terms of wanting to be competitive based on how they address their roster issues in 2024. I mean, that's going to be the biggest and best indicator anybody's ever going to get about how serious they are about this. Uh, and seriously, you know, the, 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 it's either one or the other. It can't be both. They're either serious about winning MLS Cup or the primary goal is, uh, you know, the bottom line of the club financially. And, and, and I'm sure you can make an argument that both of those, either one of those answers can be right in their own, but I don't think they, I do not believe uh, it can be both of those things. It has to be one or the other. Yeah, we're looking at a summer where you could essentially have exactly the same roster you had last year, pretty much. Even with a fourth DP. Even with a fourth DP. Yeah. Or you could literally have three of your DPs be new, three or four be new. You know, and then add another Tamergan player on top of that. You know, and all that's because of this new rule, potentially salary cap change, potentially Alan mm-hmm. Blasco injury, potentially. You know, there are now ways for this team to do things. Okay, what do you got? Are you going to try and keep up or not? And this is all in response to Inter Miami changing the league. This is a watershed moment. The league's going to change here. And are you going to keep up or are you not? That's the good yeah. question. And the funny thing is, is historically DP signings for Dallas don't ever feel like everybody else's DP signings. They're always kind of like variations on the theme. Like Jesus is obviously a DP, but he's also a homegrown. So it doesn't feel like the yeah. same thing as signing Chicharito or Zlatan, right? Or it's a young DP in the case of Velasco. Yeah. Or it's somebody that gets bought down, or you know what I'm Frank saying? O'Hara. Yeah, it just yeah. never feels the same. They always seem to try to manipulate it in their favor, and yeah. I don't feel like the Dallas fan gets the real well. There's no excitement out of it. Other than the young old thing, the important distinction to understand about DPS is that there's two kinds. Um, one of them is a a salary that you could theoretically buy down with the league funny money. And that applies to every home, uh, DP that FC Dallas has. They all fall into that category. The the ones that they don't have any of are the guys whose salary are so large, which is like, I think it's over two or 3 million that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's these guys that LAFC or Toronto has that get paid five, 10, $15 million. Dallas doesn't have any of those. It's Chicharito. It's, um, you know, various guys. I don't remember have in front of me, probably Carlos Vela, you know, multiple guys in Toronto that we know about, some of those Italian dudes, you know, so this team doesn't do that. But even though it doesn't do that, you can still compete and fill up all four of your DPs with legitimate million-dollar players and try and compete. Or just be a little bit better about your guys that are slightly below that, that aren't quite DPs but still need the funny money and get real value out of them. And that's one of the, a lot of the big changes we've talked about are center back and six and things like that where those Tam Gam sort of, DP-ish kind of players are not being good enough right now. And that's where Dallas needs some changes. The great Stephanie asks, realistic FC Dallas buys for center back nine and six. I love the fact that Stephanie is using (laughs) numbers to describe positions. I think that's awesome. That is such a reflection of being a third degree listener. Uh, She's asking if you guys have recommendations or ideal targets for center back, striker, and a holding mid. Dan, do you have any? I got a couple of. Them. It's uh, a big world, admittedly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's been a tough part. I, I, I only had a little bit of time to kind of think about it, but um, none really. I was trying to look more in within the league since that seems to be the 
you know, they're one of the focuses right now, and none really shot out to me. Well, I came up with a couple, and um, I did the same thing. I mainly looked in the league, and, and I don't know that these are necessarily ones that are likely, but I think they fit the equation. Um, and we've talked about a value nine being the kid Leonardo Campana who's with Miami, and you only mentioned him as being reasonable because Inter Miami is getting Suarez, so they're going to have to dump some people and probably dump a nine. So maybe that's a guy, although he's not really a DP, but if you're Dallas, you might have to pay him as a DP to get him. That's so a, so that's a realistic. Go ahead. They just uh, gave him a contract extension. Like oh, six did weeks they? Ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, he still he still is a guy. If they're going to get Suarez, this extra DP spot may kill this idea. But they might have needed to dump him before. Maybe they don't now. So a reasonable six. Again, I don't know if you can get him. Would be Kellen Acosta. He plays six for the national team. He doesn't necessarily play six for LAFC, but that's a club that always has big contracts. He has a connection here. I know he left here at one time, but that's a reasonable number. He probably could be talking about playing six full time. So that works to me. Rangy, good passer. That's exactly the kind of qualities we want in a six here. And center back, I'll dial it back to, I don't think you can get him either necessarily. But again, they made a play for Aaron Long last year, FC Dallas did, and they didn't get him. But he also went to out to California and didn't start. He's mostly came off the bench, so he might be annoyed by that. So maybe there's a guy, even though he's 31, maybe that's a guy that might be reasonable. So those are some reasonable names, in my opinion, at, at those positions. Man, I would love to see Kellen Acosta come back to this club. Would he be great? Rangy as hell, good passer. He'll oh hit my, hard if you need him just, to. You know, it just feels so good. It would, yeah. Uh, based on how it ended, unfor- and how angry and frustrated we were with him when he left at the time that he did. Yeah, it'd be nice. Hmm. All right, Sam checks in uh, with an interesting question. Your favorite obscure player from the club, and we can define what qualifies as obscure. Now, he he specifically says FC Dallas, so I'm assuming he means that and not dating back all the way to the burn, because, boy, could we get obscure. You can go burn. (laughs) Uh, Somebody joked that they already know who yours is, Peter, by the way. Everybody knows that. I'm sorry, Tedek is not yeah. obscure. <laughs> oh, no. He oh. is a club legend, <laughs> and his face is on the Mount Rushmore of his <clears throat> club, so that does not qualify. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go first. Is Simo Valakari obscure? Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's my favorite obscure player, if he's if it's obscure. If it's not as obscure enough, I'll go Matt Boom Boom Banky. <laughs> I'll go with him. <laughs> boom Boom. <laughs> <laughs> great guy i liked him a lot yeah dan you got an obscure player uh you know i was racking my brain trying to think of someone that's obscure and i really i couldn't how about lazo alavanya peter he's all it was a good one too uh, yeah that would have been a good one mine actually may not qualify as obscure but imaginary um or fantasy player remember how we always used to joke we wish Abe Thompson and Kenny Cooper would have sex and have a baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because the resulting soccer player that came out of that with Abe's yeah. brain and and Kenny's body Kenny's and body, skills yeah. would have just made like a world would have we oh. the United States would have instantly won the World Cup in the in the yeah. following 20 years. He'd have been a world beater. Not <laughs> Dallas could never have afforded him. Yeah. So uh yeah. Abe Cooper Jr. or <laughs> Kenny Thompson Jr., whatever you want to call it, that would be my obscure player. Uh, Favorite or least favorite FC Dallas players to interact with over the years? And that's a question you guys are going to have to answer because I haven't done a lot of that. Okay, this is is easy. And this is where I kind of got into trouble because I was like, my favorite player to interact with ever was Stephen Keel. I don't think he's obscure, 
but that was the first name that came to mind for favorite obscure FCD. Player. No, that's but probably he, a good one because he was only here yeah. what two seasons for sure. Uh, I think it was. I think it was three. He was out okay. injured for a full year. Um, but you know, I mean, uh, you know, if you ever saw the stuff that New York Red Bulls did with him, where they gave him the video camera and he went around and did keel cam interviews with all the other players. I mean, that's him. That's him 24 seven. Uh, super nice guy. Just, you know, it, the, the best, the absolute best. I can't um, wait to hear Dan's least favorite player. <laughs> Mara Diaz easily. Yeah. The guy literally, uh, I was trying to get some questions, uh, through a translator at the same time. Uh, one of the team staff wanted to do some Spanish video with them. He ran through the trainer's room, hid, <laughs> and then we went looking around for him, and he was just sitting on the curb out uh, in the corner where the offices are, waiting for his girlfriend to come and pick him up because he could drive. What is it with diminutive, high ball skill Argentinian dudes in this club? He was just miserable. He was. God, just he a was miserable. Person. Yeah. Buzz, who's your favorite? My favorite to interact with is Ronnie O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie yeah. had absolutely the best stories and was really, really funny and was also super real. He would like absolutely tell you 100% exactly what everything was going on or about and being frank and honest. Even when he was bad, he would be frank and honest about it. He's the one that said, one time he asked me, he said, why'd you say I played like shit? And I said, well, how did you think you played? He's like, well, like shit, but you don't have to say that. You know, he's just a great dude. Um, and my least favorite is partially my fault. It's literally anyone who doesn't speak English, um, <laughs> which is mostly the Spanish guys, because I speak not a word of Spanish. And none of them, and some of them have never in their life tried to learn a learn of English. Like Michael Barris was here for friggin' 20 years and never learned two words of English. So that's always a real problem for me because I don't, you know, and it's partially my fault too. So I'll take it take on the chin, but it, it's tough for me to give anybody. And part of the problem too is that sometimes the, the and this is not necessarily a shot at anyone in particular, but sometimes the people that they offer to translate for you for SE Dallas don't translate accurately. The player will talk for three minutes and the translation will be 20 seconds. And you're like, yeah. okay, that's not what he said. But I think the problem is it, it, it's a very specific skill and it's, it's really easy to say that as somebody that only speaks one language, but it's a very specific skill to relay exactly what somebody is saying to you. Whereas yeah. I think, you know, in more recent times, there's been a lot of, oh, he said da da da. Okay, but I'm not asking for a summary of what he said. I'm trying to actually yeah, take his words and put them on paper. Yeah, well, thankfully now we can record stuff with our phone and then have it translated via Google or whatever. It's still not exactly the same as like a real translation, of course, but, you know, that's that's the biggest difficulty. My favorite was still when uh, Mauro Rosales, former Ajax player, had to uh, had to translate for me to uh, Maxi Aruti because Maxi spoke English, but he didn't really feel comfortable enough to actually answer in English at the time. Hmm. Um, that that was kind of how the resources were. So I was like, "Great, this is perfect. I'll go for a two for I'm interviewing two people at once here." Uh, turned out, which turned out magic, but it was just. Uh, yeah, you can imagine that. Like you've uh, you've played for one of the world's biggest clubs, and you've been a a, a decent sized DP at other clubs. You come to Dallas and like, hey, can you translate for someone? 
I didn't think I had an answer to this, but I do quickly. My least favorite, and this is 100% unfair to him, but I was so frustrated by this, was Matt Hedges. Because Matt got screwed into having to do a phoner into the kick around one day. And not only did he do it on his Bluetooth, but it was a crummy connection. And he all he wanted to do is give one word answers. And it was the worst interview in the show's history. And I was pretty pissed off about that. Which really isn't his fault because he didn't want to do it and he got made to do it or something. But uh, so again, that's probably unfair to him. No, it is definitely unfair. But that's well, I will I will say that Matt Hedges was not particularly verbose in his. No, uh, he was not. No, I mean, he was not a gregarious A type personality by any stretch of the imagination. It took me years to get him to actually talk to me about anything real and not just give me. You know, it's just it's just his nature. And my favorite, without question, was the great Brandon Pollard, who uh, even before he had his leg broken by uh, Kovalenko was just the sweetest dude you could possibly meet. And then even after his career, when he first went into baking and then beekeeping, yeah. was just the most uh, down-to-earth, sweet human being you could possibly meet. And I love that dude, and I'm sad he doesn't live around Let's just say he had a different worldview than most people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a yeah. great way to say it. Uh, Stephanie's last question is, considering all the factors of this season, when you take everything to consideration, was this season successful? That's Sam's last question, but yeah, let's. Um, oh, Sam's last question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Okay. In my mind, no, it's not. But um, for the owners, I think that they're going to say, you know, mostly not yes, but um, yes enough that they it met the minimum stated requirements, which is to make the playoffs. Um, they're not going to look at it and go, oh, what a great, amazing season, but they're going to look at all the mitigating circumstances. And I know that you don't want to accept or no one should accept that injuries are a part of the parcel of the program and that that mitigates this season. But when you're talking about spending a lot of money and whether you're going to fire a coach or not, it does factor in. So it's not a successful season, but it did meet the minimum requirements. And so I don't think there's any, you know, issue there by any means. Daniel? Yeah, for me, I think if you go specific to the word and considering all the factors results attendance general field of the team assuming the team meaning like the whole club not just the team on the field yeah it was kind of successful attendance is up business is up play on the field was was down um you know the hunts are gonna look at the the business aspect first so as a so as kind of an ironic file follow-up to that question comes from Mose, which is uh what does a reasonably successful season for next year 2024 look like well it's the same thing it's make the playoffs you know that's their minimum line uh, and if and if you manage to fix the injury problems they're going to be have an expectation that they belong in the top half of the table you know because they're going to look at their roster relative to 2022 when they were fourth, you know, or third or whatever the hell they were now it's blocking it out. And they're going to look at last season and throw last season out. And they're going to say, that's our expectation, especially if we go add pieces. So a, a successful season is going to be top four in the West. That's going to be successful. It, surviving season is different question. Hmm. For me, a successful season isn't necessarily movement in the standings. It's just, it's having that stronger bench depth, that stronger, resilience against injuries hmm so they could have the exact same result this season but next year and you'd feel like that's successful if they were able to overcome the injury situation uh, well i mean it's not just like 
not getting injured, but actually having like reliable depth. Yeah, I see. Um, because I, I mean that sets you up for later down the line. As okay. much as and Dan's right in a way too that like if this club doesn't go out and make the moves to then extend them at the top to compete at the very highest level, then like solidifying what you are what might be considered successful. Just to be better version of what you are is probably successful in their minds. All right. From the very modernly spelled awesome um username, Cynical Spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's gotta be their call of duty tag uh to steal this question from steve schlanger that's totally a made-up name by the way if you could change one rule in soccer what would you change uh okay the, the my grumpy old man answer is go back to three subs but that's boring the fun answer is i would change throw-ins to kick-ins because then you would get basically corner kicks from like anywhere midfield in basically interesting so that's my those are what's my yours answers. dan um, I don't really have one. The, it would be simplify all these stupid nuanced rules like offside or or you know handball. handball with did he mean it? Was it was it too close? Was the hand in a natural position? Um, if I had to just pick one, what would it be? Silence as Dan can yeah, say. Yeah, complete silence. Uh, okay. I, I, I I'll know. let you have two. Handball and offside rules. Modified and simplified. Mine, without question, would be games that end after extra time, instead of going to penalty kicks, go to 35-yard run-ups like they used to do in the NASL and MLS. That would be cool. That's way better. I'm not saying... If there's a foul in the box in the course of the game, that is still a traditional penalty kick. But when you get to deciding the game, it's run-ups. Shootout style, brother. Yeah. That would be mine. From Justin, which current MLS player or players do you loathe? And which ones do you have a healthy respect and admiration for? Dan, you got one? You know, I... I didn't have one after uh, Stephen Leonard retired, but uh, I think uh, in the last few days, it's definitely become Matt Miazga. Mm. Yeah, that's an easy one. We found out today that Matt got suspended through the rest of the season and the, all the details, the salacious details about him going into the referee room. Have you guys read that report yet? No, yeah. no, I saw it. I haven't read it yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's way worse than anybody was trying to make it out to be. They were all trying to make it sound like the referees were overblowing it, but there's way too many witnesses mm. and video evidence to the contrary uh, that Matt just completely blew a fuse. And it did raise the question, if you were to, bat if you were to do a battle of the nitwit selfish acts that hurt your team who was the winner between matt miazga and uh, uh serginio dest mm -hmm. and i think the over i think most people thought it was mr miazga all right well the only low that could come up for was dima kovalenko who's not yeah. in the league anymore of course i still hate that dude's guts yeah i uh, know me too when but you my... break not one but two <laughs> of your club's uh players legs over yeah. the course of a few seasons yeah <laughs> My, uh, you're my, forever the villain. My distaste slash healthy respect for a player, however, is Johnny Russell, who I both hate and also think is an absolute baller at the same time. 
That's how I feel about Hector Herrera. Yeah, yeah, Hector, I, I can definitely see that about Hector. Herrera. I remember I told you that story that when he signed for Houston, my wife's like, "Hector Herrera, I hate that guy." <laughs> <laughs> All right, John Woodward asks. Let's see. He says this is a generic question, but he's going to throw it out there. Should the injury bug? Should the injury bug hitting a team fall on the shoulders of the conditioning coaches and dietitians? Uh, it depends on what it is. Um, if you have a rash of the same kind of injury, then yes, you do. But, um, I don't think if you mean, if you mean the FC Dallas one specifically, then no, the ones this last season for FC Dallas was a, a confluence of different kinds of injuries. And it's just a, con- a, a setup of bad luck. Now you couldn't blame some of it on the shorter roster and a little bit of the overwork, but it wasn't, the injury started happening before they hit the heavy overwork section. So this year wasn't, but there have been times where if you see a whole bunch of hamstrings at the same time, that's usually an overwork situation, you know, kind of like what's happening in Newcastle right now, for example, you know, there was a time when everybody come out of the Academy was getting uh, hernia or torso injuries. And Oscar was adamant that it was like, it's just the kids not doing enough core work. And they really doubled down in the Academy, for example, on core work after that. And that really made a big improvement in that aspect. So it can be that, but this season wasn't that in my opinion. Okay. So here's my thought on it. Um, you know, at the start of Oscar Pereira's tenure, there were a lot of hamstring and knee injuries. Uh, Oscar brought in Fabian Bazan uh, as a strength and conditioning coach. And then what we'd see in, in practice is, you know, in, in any drill, whether it's an 11 aside or even down to something like shuttle runs, Every player had a number of reps and, you know, he'd go tap one on the shoulder, pull them out. Um, they got very, very clever, very sciencey. Uh, they were mapping pressure points in the feet, strain on individual muscles in a player's running style. Things that, you know, you, we can kind of, you can do, you can utilize to stop the strain on on a short roster like we've seen this season. Uh, we've also seen a couple of players with hernias, which, for the most part, that that's an old injury that's just never been treated properly. It's been kind of like, well, yeah. you know, the pain's gone away. Uh, we've seen a couple of instances which, you know, I didn't really think too much of at the time, but now looking at, at the two of them, where a player has gone down with an injury and a physio sent them straight back in, uh, one of those obviously was an an ACL injury, which you know they should be able to diagnose fairly quickly. Um, it, it just seems like the team has been the the club rather has been a little bit carefree w- with some of some of the stuff in there. And there's been a lot of movement in the uh, the medical staff. Um, you know, uh, they've gone through the the head trainer. I think you've had what Skyler left. He's working with Oscar in Orlando. Reed Whitney left. He got fired from DC earlier in the year. Tracy Chapman left. I think he went into private practice. Uh, you've got uh, I can't remember the chap's name currently. Um, who a couple of years ago was like the you know youth backup guy. Um, it just kind of feels like that there maybe hasn't been as much attention paid in that area as as there has been in others. 
Okay, uh, back to Chris Mobley, who asked the first question. He had a couple of other ones. He wants to know, Buzz, how confident are you that you and Nico agree on evaluations of players? And he uses the example of, is it possible that Nico sees Jesus Jimenez and says, you know, he would have been okay if he hadn't gotten injured and ends up uh, playing on this <laughs> team again next season? Well, if Jimenez is back here next season, it'll be because the Hunts don't want to pay the money. That'll be all the reason he's back, but... Um, it's pretty close. I'm pretty confident. You know, this coach so far yet won't talk to me in the sense of like a complete off the record and say like, this guy's shit. He doesn't do that like some other coach have done. But, you know, it's still pretty clear sometimes what he thinks about certain players. Um, it's pretty, my my beliefs on some guys align is pretty close. What he does that I don't do is also something Lucci does, which is he doesn't give up on guys. Like he'll, if the guy's still on the roster, he'll continue to try and use him and try and play him. And Lucci did the same thing where he didn't give up on Cobra, where I gave up on Cobra after a couple of weeks, and Lucci didn't. So they're much more forgiving than I am. But then again, I don't have to manage the guy; I just don't have to write about him. You know, so it's I can be much harsher than they can be in terms of my evaluation. There's guys on this roster that I don't think should be on this roster at all anymore. So um, I don't think I think that because he's a uh, non-harsh, more of a hug-it-out kind of, a little bit like Lucci in that regard, actually, kind of coach that he's always going to work with guys and always try and develop them and always going to try and keep them in the mix and always see if they can get some value out of them and where I'd be like, just go train on the other field. I don't even care anymore, you know? So it's pretty close. All right, Chris's third question I think actually is pretty interesting in this. And to provide some context, a few days ago the club put out a pretty funny graphic with a set of dinner tables, and each one had a caricature of three uh, either current or historical players from the club. And the question was, which table would you want to sit at uh, to be a part of? And I think the general consensus was table number four. Is that right? Yeah, was I think it, it was four. It was table number four, which had Nikosi Tafari, Breck Shea, and Paxton Pomacall. And we were all like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's absolutely the table yeah. we'd all want to sit at. But Chris's question kind of bends that a little bit. And he says, no offense to Paxton, but if you take Paxton away from that group and you're left with Nikosi and Breck, who would be the most interesting third player in this club's history or current player uh, to add to that table. I know who exactly who the answer is for this, but I'm interested who Dan and Buzz think. Do you want to go first? Is you well, mine is, without question, the aforementioned Brandon Pollard. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, my answer kind of depends on what kind of conversation you want. The most interesting <laughs> storyteller is Ronnie O'Brien. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. If you wanted, um, you know, there there are guys who I just enjoy, like, having a drink with and, and maybe eating a nice meal with. For me, it would be, like, Simo or Oscar or Bobby Ryan, um, maybe a Brian Haynes, guys that I've gotten along with really well and are also really good conversationalists. So it just depends on kind of what you want. But if you want it to be just pure characters, the only guy that comes close to Nicosi and Breck is Ronnie O'Brien because he's – you know, a lot of people don't know much about him because he's just an Irish dude, but he had some of the most amazing stories about playing in Europe and, you know, with Juventus and the being voted for, you know, man of the century and like just all kinds of great stories uh, out of that guy. Okay. So I don't have an addition, but I do have a uh, hot, uh, interesting character opinion. Okay. Go ahead. Breck Shea was never an interesting character. 
Well, he may not have been interesting to talk to, but he's an interesting character. He's, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just um, really miserable to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was uh, a weird one. He was and he was one of those weird introvert extroverts, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's that's per, a perfect way to put it. Yeah, actually. but like Brandon Pollard, he has a different worldview than a lot of people, and that's why people <laughs> significantly like picked out that particular table is because Nikosi is the same thing too. Nikosi is very different than the kind of players we're used to here. So it's a fascinating table. So you know, you're probably but, right. Brandon I Pollard mean, would be the answer. We, that would be the crazy. But, you know, when you talk to Nikosi, like every everything has thought and feeling behind it. There's nothing that's without intention. There's nothing that's just like I say stuff to say stuff or to try and be controversial or anything like that. I mean, and the guy is no like, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, like close. I feel like you could have a, a week long conversation with him, go like, and and walk away and be like. Man, there's so many things I wish I'd asked. It's interesting. I thought that was a, a cool um, bit it was a good the club yeah. did. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Although they made the answer way too obvious with that pairing of those three guys. It's like, we, yeah. we, you really wouldn't want to waste your time with any of the other tables. That was absolutely the table to go with. I mean, there was one. I'm not going to say which one. One of them was awful. I was like, oh, my God, that's about It would never be that one. But uh, I'm not going to say who it was, though. Don't don't out anybody. Just move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Fritz and Mark ask kind of the same question, so I'm going to kind of put them together. Which is, how hot are the seats of both Nico Estevez and Andre Zanata? Uh, I'll go first, and, and Dan, you can say whether you agree with me or not. Um, not hot at all. <laughs> Honestly, um, ice cold. You're yeah, saying, yeah. Well, both of those guys were contracts were you know up or, or had they had an options or whatever. Nico was pretty adamant that he had his own option. Um, but pretty cold actually, you know, I, I've had some conversations with Dan Hunt recently, um, twice where he talked about how confident they are in the coach and, in uh, Zanata, like that's their guys. Like, cause remember Zanata's about the business. He was the rep was buying and selling. That's what they want. They want to make the profit that way. Uh, you know, Estevez is meeting that minimum requirement. So fix the defense, make the playoffs, right? That's the MO here. So those guys both did exactly what they've been asked, asked to do. And the coach seems really happy with them. The owner seems really happy with them. So I don't, I don't know that they're hot at all. In fact, and if you want to be more specific, like what would it take? The you know the second half of Fritz's question was like, what would it take for him to be the bet next year to possibly let go? And it, it it wouldn't even be say to miss the playoffs because like if you, if you just miss by like a point, maybe there's some mitigating circumstances or whatever. You have to miss bad. You have to miss bad, and then those guys would then would be on the hot seat. But if you just if you come in like seventh or eighth again, I don't think they would be upset. I think they would look at what happened and why and see what they do. Now, if they go spend $10 million, maybe it's a different question, but they're not going to. So, Dan? No, that's it. Uh, he's, they're both sitting on giant blocks of ice. <laughs> they're perfectly yeah. comfortable 68 degrees. Next up from Claudia, if any, what changes do you expect to see with Feruzzi's departure? Uh, this one's pretty simple. Right away, they'll just kind of have some other people fulfill his position, his responsibilities, and then see where it goes from there. Um, it, they kind of had created that spot for him, you know, because he'd been here so long as a great servant in the club. It wasn't necessarily a job they had before. So they'll probably do some evaluation about whether they really feel like they need to fill it again Is or not. Director of methodology? Yeah, basically he was supervising coaches That's in the academy so and the first team and making sure that there was an integration between the first team all the way to the academy, which, by the way, if you include North Texas, they actually absolutely need to have that integration. 
it'll just depend on how busy some of the people are that could do that by themselves and whether they'll need somebody or not. So I think it's a TBD to be determined. Chuck asks a very good question, and it goes something like this. With the club focused on the academy and selling players to generate revenue, how does a coach like Nico Estevez make any sense? He doesn't trust playing the kids, isn't a fan of the homegrown contracts, and the less they are ready to contribute to the senior team. Yeah, he doesn't. We, we've said this since the guy got hired. Um, like Even like the very first press conference, we brought it up that that was not – there was a miss fit there and there still is a misfit there. You know, they're trying to walk a line between two states of business. They don't want to be, they want to be in a kid's academy development cell team, but they also want to compete and have guys in the prime of their career. Those two things are not necessarily cohesive. So it, it doesn't make any sense. The great Lance Lester asks, uh, it, I, I, well, here's the question. Do you think Clark would be willing to have a roster with positions one through eight with every player being at it being paid at least three hundred thousand dollars. It's one through eighteen, but we're actually really close to that. Um, so yes, I think they will. You know, they're they're within touching distance of that happening. You're really looking at like four or five players that are not, and some of them are like it's Dante Sealy, who's probably you know okay that one maybe not, but the Kosi's one he ought to be, and then you're looking at like one or two guys like uh, Junka who had a really small deal so he could bounce between the, the rosters and the mulatto who same thing, you know, so it's only a very, very small number of players that don't have that yet. And I think you're within a season or two of it. We're literally being everybody on the first team roster. The only reason you wouldn't that you would keep one or two low is so that you could theoretically bounce them down to the supplemental roster if you had to, but that's, you know, really much, they're almost there already. And Buzz Lance is really working hard to get you in deep uh-huh. shit with this next question, which is what brutally honest coaching moves would you make in the academy? Well, there's one, uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to say his name <laughs> because I don't because he's coaching kids and I don't want to do that. Um, but there is one, and to me, it's glaring, and it's been glaring for about four years now. W- what I will say in a bigger sense is that since they've lost from the academy. They've lost Lucine. They lost Javi Morales. They lost Oscar running the thing. They lost Lucci. They've lost some sexiness in their coaching staff. And by that, I mean like recruiting sexiness. They've done way, way better on recruiting lately. But when you have a guy like Javi Morales in your academy, that attracts a kind of kid that you can't get if if you don't. So So the one name aside, which I'm not going to say, uh, they could use a little bit of that kind of thing. They have a bunch of dudes that are really workmanlike and really solid and really good coaches. That's not the same thing as having somebody that's got a big draw name, you know. Hey, one of you curious need to send Buzz another bottle of that banana flavored whiskey or whatever it was. <laughs> Get him drunk. Bacon flavored yeah. uh, yeah. whiskey. So he gets drunk and tells us which coach it is. I mean, I've said it to people. I'm just not going to do it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, I. I it's, well, uh, it's not that. It's that it's the it's the impact on kids. Yeah, no, you're yeah. you're totally right. I'm just yeah, I'm just goofing with you. I mean, I, I don't want to have some kids on that particular team and their parents talking about that. Yeah, you know what no, I mean? you're yeah. absolutely right. No, it's a, a totally unfair question on Lance's part, and I'm only prodding it. And so, my apologies. All good. Uh, all right, Chris. Will we see more Dallas Burn throwback uh, gear and or acknowledgments in the future? Yes. 
Dan, do you, do you like the burnt stuff, Dan? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, here's the thing. It's selling. So, yeah, of course they're going to follow that. Yeah, that's what happened. Is that they did that burn throwback stuff, and it was sold like hotcakes, and they were blown away. They were not expecting that at all. And now they've done this burn kit, and it also is hot, and people love it. So, yeah, you'll see more of it. Well, I also feel like that I successfully renamed the official nickname of the club, The Burn, yeah. this season. So why wouldn't they? I hear that a lot, actually. People like that. Yeah, well, people. they should. Yeah. It kicks ass. Yeah. Uh, Steve writes a this sounds more like a customer complaint <laughs> and he's sending it to the wrong wrong place yeah, it does, than it? a question for this podcast but yeah. apparently steve is very riled up because for the third year in a row he went to go buy a jersey as a gift and they have none left anywhere and it's like how do they how are they completely out of stock six weeks before the holidays and apparently this has happened many many times to him and he has he's written a sternly worded letter <laughs> Uh, to the podcast about this. I don't know how to answer this question for you, Steve. I do. Yeah, oh. I was going to say, Dan, I can too. Go ahead, Dan. Okay, so here's the thing. They would rather not sell a few dozen than be left with hundreds of of items of dead stock. Um, there was, uh, in the 2012 or 2013 season, whenever it was, they signed the Advocate deal. They had that jersey that they used in 20... The toothpaste logo. The well, it's not so much that it's they had that that same that one jersey, right? They used the home jersey from 2011 to 2013, the away jersey from 2011 to 2014. Um, they came with FC Dallas on the front of them, or they came blank and and as part of like a little kit where you could iron it on yourself. When they signed the uh, the sponsorship, they were left with thousands upon thousands of jerseys that they contractually could not sell so they've put money into that they've now got tons of storage space unused uh they were giving these things left out left right and center to every charity school anyone that would willingly take a few dozen jerseys off their hands um they did the heart walk that year um and every single person that registered to be part of the team FCD for the heart, for the Dallas Heart Walk received one of those jerseys. Um, they they just could not get rid of them. So that's the sort of situation they don't want to get themselves into. So they are gonna that you know they are gonna order a few less than than the point of them selling out rather than kind of uh, what's the what's the word. Um, Stockpiling, rather, sorry, stockpiling jerseys. Yeah, yeah. I, I meant uh, it was it was a different word, but yeah, uh, rather than kind of uh, you know run out of people to sell to, and then suddenly they've got like, an empty uh, a packed storeroom to look at. Yeah, I remember that the FC Dallas is a low selling jersey team in, in relative terms. So Adidas is not going to take the risk, and FC Dallas is not going to take the risk of having. As Dan says, thousands of jerseys laying around. So that's that's the answer. I know it sucks, and, but it is what it is. And I mean, to be fair, even Miami had that problem this year. Well, yeah, everybody had that problem this year because of the supply chain. And we've talked about that going back to the blue jersey that would have been their greatest jersey selling of all time if they hadn't run out of them because of supply chain problems. Yeah. Well, and the QA was just terrible on them. Well, that too. But I remember when I went, I went to buy one, and I couldn't find in the entirety of Soccer Ninety. I couldn't find one that had a straight centered MTX logo on it, <laughs> no, so I, I didn't buy one. And people still bought them like crazy, even with that problem. Yeah, yeah. it's my favorite kit I have, actually. 
Uh, Neil checks in with our first tactical question, Buzz. Do you think it would benefit Jesus Ferreira to uh, long-term move, to move away from the nine slot and either play in the wing or off striker? Yes, but not in terms of like how much you're going to get for him. I think it would benefit him because I think it's his better position, particularly off striker. Um, but that's a position that doesn't get used very much anymore. So him, maximizing his game, his talent, maximizing his potential would benefit. But I, you also don't pay as much for players that are not pure nines, which is he's going to have a problem with that anyway. You know, he's not worth as much as Pepe because he's not a pure nine, but also a little bit older. But you know, so it would it would it would benefit his game, but I don't know that it would benefit his sale. Hmm. Austin uh, asks an interesting question about the differences between in league moves versus signing players uh, that are from out of the league, and and is basically is it smarter to to sign in league moves uh, since they're already MLS tested versus you know bringing in Velasco who's new to the league and the country and everything. Well, it's definitely smarter, but they're also more expensive because and you can. And if you don't believe that, I'll point to Sebastian Legette and Paul Ariola as two perfect examples of that. Yes, it's absolutely smarter because you know they're a proven player, and you can eliminate the risk factor of can they succeed in Major League Soccer. But that's exactly why those players are relatively expensive. It's a different kind of money. It's not real money. It's only fake money. But that doesn't mean they're not expensive to pry away from teams that have them. Like we talked earlier about the Kellen Acosta idea and how great that idea would be. Uh, I bet you that it would not be easy to get him away from LAFC, even if he's out of contract. I have no idea what his contract status is. You know, but if he's a free agent or not, that's different. You know, but I don't think they would allow that to happen. A player that you want is not hitting that free agency market, I doubt, unless it's very unusual circumstances. All right, Mark, uh, let's see, what's Mark's last name? Already? Oh, Deweese, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, so uh, Mark asked a question about the FC Dallas facility as it relates to the World Cup and wondering if the club, as an organization, receives any financial benefit and windfall from either the nation that's using the facility for training purposes during the upcoming World Cup or from FIFA uh, and any kind of profit that they may get from that. Yes, they would, and not only from uh, the, the the team that would the national team would pay them directly, but not only from that they would get it from fans that would come, like the fans of that Selling country tickets, yeah. would show up to want to go to training or just hang around outside the fence or use hotels or whatever something you know sell them some jerseys t-shirts or something like uh, oh Netherlands training compound twenty twenty six whatever it is, uh, you know and also advertising yourself as a vehicle for clubs to do this. Look how good we are as a training facility. You know, we have great hotels right here. We have great restaurants right here. It's not a zoo, you know, like it might be if you were trying to be downtown, you know, it's like we can, we can isolate you. We've got a training field separated, you know, all those things. So yeah, they make money. Man, I, I, that's one of the aspects of 2026 I'm so looking forward to is how many nations decide to use the DFW area as their uh, hub or their, you know, their base camp for the tournament. And I think about SMU and TCU and uh, Toyota Stadium and the Cotton Bowl. I mean, the list goes on and on of the yeah. potential locations that a nation could pay a lot of money for to base themselves from. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's actually part of the bid process. And the Dallas bid uh, gave 
Toyota Soccer Center and then uh, MoneyGram actually counts for two teams. They can divide it up for two different Oh, camps. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, there will still be ways to make money off of it, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, off, Hunts aren't going to give anything away for free. You know, the MoneyGram and Toyota being a part of that whole process, there's a way to make money on it for the Hunts. Oh, yeah, they'll get the money yeah. from, from FIFA for, you know, just – being available. Dan, you know more about this than I do. In that same proposal, were things like SMU and the Cotton Bowl and TCU not part of the bid? Are they are they not no, eligible they to offer themselves up as um, training hubs? Could, I mean, they can be added, but uh, the Cotton Bowl was, I mean, originally down as a as a stadium proposal. Um, they probably would steer away from that because what they're trying to do is put a fan zone in Fair Park at, at the Midway, and they're trying to get the International Broadcast Center as well at Fair Park. Okay. So adding a training camp in that area might be a bit difficult. Uh, I mean, it could even be uh, they have to have a venue, um, like a you know somewhere they can train near a near a venue. So the Cotton Bowl could even potentially serve a purpose for that since you know it'd be uh pretty close to i think the omni is the proposal for the actual fifa headquarters um and it's you know a pretty straight shot for to uh jerry world then yeah for sure okay uh, David Mercer and Buzz, just to save you from yourself and to make sure yeah. we don't do this for the next uh, hour and a half, mm. I'm going to limit you to three on this one. Who are the next Academy players of genuine impact for this club? Well, it's important to remember that there's some good dudes that um, they're trying to funnel everybody through the North Texas Soccer Club. So that is a factor. Like there's, it, you'll, you basically will want to watch North Texas Soccer Club and that'll give you a very good indicator of who they will be. Well, the first answer is Julian Eyestone. Now, if you want to claim that since he's at Duke, he doesn't count as one of those three, that's fine. Um, that dude is a, as top-tier talent as it's possible to come out of the academy, so they really have to get on him fast. For my money... And by the, the next, way, that's the super tall, freakishly tall athlete yeah. goalkeeper that was at Duke this yeah, year. Yeah, phenomenal. Okay. As big a prospect as you can be. Like, I put him right there with, like, Weston McKinney, in my opinion. We'll, we'll see. And they you still know, may never sign, be able to sign him because he not. may go to they Europe. Yeah, yeah okay. same thing. Like clubs are circling, have been circling. Uh, number two for me is Anthony Ramirez. Um, now, this is a weird one because when I talk to people at the club about him, I don't get quite the reaction that I expect. He's been capped by Mexico and the United States since like U15 all the way up to U19, like over and over by both groups. He's already played a boatload of games for North Texas SC, scored some goals. The other day, they finally they took him over to a UPSL game, and he scored a first-half hat trick. The guy's the next-level player, in my opinion. Now, the problem is, is that he's also Mexico-eligible, so there might be some Mexico clubs that are waiting for him to graduate high school in May. And maybe why we've not seen him sign. He's he's a late-in-the-year birthday, so he's like a 05 hanging around, which is not very common. Um, so for me, he's the guy. Whether it's him... Whether it's here or not, what I think position can, is he? Oh, he's a wing slash ten. He's a false wing. He's he he's Mario Diaz. He's he, sorry. He's uh you know Alan Velasco. That's his game. He's that kind of player. Okay, that kind of talent level. So we'll see what happens. He's a little bit you know not super big, right? So that's the same thing. Uh, but for me, really really good. And then after that, I would keep an eye on. Um, the, the kid from Flamengo that the club signed, um, well, not signed. He joined the academy. His name, his name is Gabriel um, Mendonca. 
and he was a uh, he was Flamingo's U16 captain, and he joined the um, U17 team this year. He's been playing in the academy. Now there's the U17, the U17 team, the 2007s. There's five or six guys there that I think are eventually have a legit shot to be pro. But that kid is a level above. He's Brazilian, but he was born here in the United States. So keep an eye on that guy, and also keep an eye on this is four since I'm not counting Eyestone. The kid that they just got from Barcelona, USA, and I have not seen him play yet, but the club already traded for his homegrown rights. They would not have done that. They had to get him from Chicago, um, and they put a and they had to pay like a hundred grand now, and then there's like an escalator if they actually sign him that goes up even more to get his homegrown rights. So they obviously are gaga about that kid, and his name is Leonardo or Orena. Oh, good lord. Uh, Areja Reina. It always takes me a minute because it's like Perea, but not. Areja Reina is his last name, Leonardo. So he's a 10-wing kind of player too, whereas the other guy I mentioned, Mendoza, is more of an 8. So those two dudes are supremely talented, and they've come in on the 2007 class above what was already like four or five guys that I think have legit pro shots. So there's four names for you. Okay. I let you have four. I said three. but Well, I wasn't kind of nice because he's already a Duke, so I was cheating. I know. <laughs> uh, David's other question is: Can you grade uh, Dallas's college draft performance in the fat past few years? It's mediocre. Other than you know when they've hit, it's been great. Ryan Hollingshead or Nicosia Tafari, but it's Siki served a little bit of a role. But you know it's not their fault necessarily. The draft is crap. It's really just not very good. Yeah. Okay. You know, top top five or six guys are even at this point a crapshoot. Anything past mid first round is a pure shot in the dark. You know, you're really just drafting anything past the first round. You're drafting for North Texas, you know, and just hoping that maybe like to, to pay back a kid who played for you and then went to college and you want to give him a North Texas shot. You know, those kinds of guys. You might someday get a dark in there, but it's a really, really long shot at this point. Eric checks in related back to a conversation we had in a previous episode talking about the best case, worst case scenarios for personnel moves. And he basically wants to know, knowing how the club is working, what do you think the they'll actually do? Uh, I think we said there were five scenarios. Will they do? His question is, will we do like two of the five, three of the five? Buzz, what yeah. do you think? Well, I want to hear what Dan says about this too. But um, I think you, the center back and the and and probably some kind of six are probably probably something you can expect at this point. The nine idea to me that was the idea of like, how does this club? actually raise its status to a higher level. And the only way to do that is to get a second scoring threat. You need to add 15 goals a season to Jesus's number. So you got the only way to do that is to go out and get a real nine, but that's expensive. So that's the one I'm not very confident they're going to do at all. Putting Alan Velasco on the IR for the year. I'm not confident at all that they'll do that. And then it terrifies me that they might not buy out Jimenez. So I'm going to say like 2.5 that you're going to get a center back and a six and then, hopefully buy out Jimenez and that that honestly might be it you might not get the nine or the Velasco freeing up of money to go get something else also so we might be looking at kind of a mid-tier niche solution I don't know Dan where are you at on their desire to go do anything so we're looking at how many of the things in your plan for improving yeah do you think they'll do any of them or the thing that has something else entirely in mind, if you want to branch it out a little bit. Uh, I mean, I th- they'll they'll pick up Sierra Mendy's contract for sure. Uh, 
dump some players. Uh, probably not. I don't, I don't see a way they... Uh, you know, when we play dump and keep, uh, Hedera Brian definitely makes sense uh, since Eugene Ansar's locked in, but I, I don't know. He, he just seems too central to what, what they have. Um, I, I don't think there's, there's any... There's the kind of smarts to do something like moving Alan Velasco to the injured reserves, like you'd suggested. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my, my, the big fear is they just kind of stand pat like they did last year and so and go, oh well, it was only injuries. Um, it, I don't know. It, it's it's so hard to say without uh, getting to Friday and knowing what the roster moves are going to be. Yeah, fair. All right, and then to kind of wrap things up, uh, Lewis and John had similar questions, which were uh, any updates on the USL Championship and USLW Super League teams in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Um, you know, essentially, any news on Dallas-Fort Worth getting a women's club somewhere in the pyramid? Yeah, I'll, I'll let Dan talk about Super League or NWSL first. But what I will say about the USL Championship team is that that's effectively dead in the water. Um, unless the, the stadium deal that was that was being worked up for the Keller-North Fort Worth area, the champion of that project was a city council guy, and he got absolutely waxed, like 75% loss in his not not even in the main election, but like in a um, uh, uh, what is that when you're running against your own party? Um, primary. Primary. Thank you. He got primaried and got smoked. So that's basically that whole stadium thing is sort of gone. So in effect, I'm not a political expert. That's what happened. So unless Donnie Nelson and his guys can can drum up um, a new stadium situation um, in Fort Worth, you know, or the western half of this thing, it's pretty much dead. Now, the, the caveat to that whole thing is that um, Nelson is continuing to pay the franchise fee, holding fee for that franchise. And it's not cheap. It's a lot of money to hold that um, um, franchise uh, rights for a market like that. So maybe there's still something floating around, but unless you can get a stadium going, I don't, I don't really see it happening. The other thing that happened is that, um, sort of related to this, is that there's a team coming to a USL one team coming to um, you know up Sherman. North Sherman. You know, like they, it's called um, uh, Texoma something. They haven't announced the brand yet, I don't think. But they've they had the the USL vice president of expansion was there. They did the whole reveal of the franchise. We're starting play in 2025. So. While we're not getting the USL Championship team, we are getting a team that would compete directly with, uh, well, semi-directly with North Texas Soccer Club up in Sherman, which is, of course, far, far North Dallas. But I, I that's still sort of the DFW, the Metroplex. So that, on the men's side, that's kind of where things are at activity-wise. Dan, you got anything on the other side? Uh, so you mentioned uh, Danny Nelson's group, Now Tech Sports. Uh, that's, that's the group that owns Texas United. Um they were kind of keen to do the academy stuff. They ended up leaving the academy stuff. I think they were keen to have a women's team. They've had a bit of a reshuffle, so no idea about that. There is that other group that uh, was supposed to do the uh, the W League, or this W Super League, whichever it is. Um, I honestly have no idea anything about that group. Um, and then as, as far as the... Uh, 
expectation that there would ever be a Dallas NWSL team uh, yeah. and what's keeping it from happening. No one's willing to foot, to foot the cost for that. Yeah, they tried to get the Hunts to do that a couple of times and they had no interest. Um, the, the W League team was the USL thing. When they announced that league, they announced Dallas as a franchise. That their webpage still exists, but there's nothing on it new. And it's like a complete ghost in terms of media from those people. Like, we so, haven't even had a PR company reach out to any of yeah. us. You know, I mean, that, that happens for anything. Yeah. And that league has, there's like three or four teams of the, of the eight or 10 that are, that were announced that have now announced brands and colors and logos. So there is some progression happening with that launch of that league. It's radio silence from the Dallas franchise. So we have no idea how real it is or not. And we won't know until they make some sort of public move, but that puts them ahead of NWSL coming here that at least there was a team named at one point. And it's, that's well behind the Sherman thing, which is actually like a legitimate team holding tryouts and creating youth teams and stuff and moving forward with their whole thing. They have a stadium deal and everything that group up in Sherman does. Well, boys, congratulations. You made it through yet another annual question and answer session. Yeah, that was good. I felt like we, we had answered a bunch of questions and, and I ate up some good time. And then now we're going to get contract moves either Thursday or Friday and, that'll really give us some stuff to chew on next week as we start to see, you know, we can start to talk about how you shape the roster and whether these moves that we've said they need to do will actually be happening or not. Do you anticipate any surprise coming out of that or a prediction that we may be surprised to find out? There'll be something like, you know, of of course the, my predictions I made are not going to be accurate. There'll be something, you know, like either keeping Obreon and getting rid of Ansa, for example, or keeping both would be a surprise to me. It will not shock me if they retain Facundo uh, at a new number. It will shock me if they were to pick up him or Martinez. Um, I don't know if they'll announce anything on Jimenez. So, like, if they just if you hear nothing about him, but he's under contract, that that won't be a surprise. It would be a surprise if you hear an announcement that we went ahead and bought him out or something. So, and then there there'll be a smattering of the the lower level stuff that will will have gotten wrong, you know, like. Well, effectively, don't pick up your Armini. That'll be a stunner. But, you know, if for some reason Junka's escalator is massive and we didn't know, or maybe there's an end delay or a course that they decide to keep just for bodies that we didn't think that they would, something like that. But, you know, the one that probably would be the most shocking would be something related to Martinez, Facundo, or um, or O'Brien would be the ones that will surprise me the most if I if they go a different way than I would expect them to. All right, boys. Well, thanks to all of the good curious out there that sent their questions in. Love hearing from them. And thanks for helping us burn an episode while we wait for the contract announcements next week. Burn. That's what you did there. I, yeah, <laughs> I did it. I did it. I did it. All right. Well, uh, Dan, it's good to speak to you again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, actually, uh, this is the, the end of this week is a pretty big week in the area. Uh, you've got... Uh, the contract decisions on Friday. You've got 4OSC plays the FC Dallas Sunday 19s and the UPSL Texas North final. Uh, that's going to stream on YouTube, or uh, you can go to Prince of Peace Eagle Stadium in Carrollton Friday night at 8 30, I think it is, uh, and actually watch that in person. Um, and Texas United should find out if their third over if their uh, if their 
undefeated regular season will uh, get them into the U.S. Open Cup by Friday. All right. Go support local soccer. Hashtag support local soccer. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. The very best place for all your soccer goodies. They got FC Dallas gear, national team gear, all the good stuff, all the European gear. Sometimes when they even forget to write copy, we still come on here and go, hey, 20% off. Soccer90.com with code Third Degree. If you're a listener to this podcast, 20%. Some exclusions do apply. Buzz, thank you, sir, for your expertise and insight. Oh, you're welcome. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week with all the new information on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Something I really don't know. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree. Third degree, never get. Third degree, the third degree, never get.